You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I invite you to take your scriptures and find the book of Mark again. We're in chapter 14, verse 22 is where we'll be. Mark 14, 22. On your way there, I'll move this out a bit. I'm going to be preaching from down here today because really this is one long introduction to our time around the table today. So I'm just going to move down lower here. Uh, as you're getting to Mark 14, we have a picture from last week, three of them from... Did they show up there? Oh, maybe I lost one. Uh, where's Marshall at? There he is. You recognize these, don't you? Marshall drew these last week. I did not get the right interpretation from Marshall. So uh, there's a lot going on there. I think... I think this is the upper room where the disciples are eating. Is that right, Marshall? Yeah, he's, okay, good, I got that. So stairs and uh, this room where we were at last week with the disciples eating um, that Passover meal, really the last one. And so thank you, Marshall, for drawing that. Kids, keep drawing and see what you've come up with for, for this week. Hopefully you've found the book of Mark, chapter 14, if you're in the ESV, it's even entitled The Institution of the Lord's Supper, and that's kind of what we're, what we're looking at here this morning. So, let me read from God's, God's Word here in, in uh, verse 22 through 25. And as they were eating, He took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's pray again. Father, we just thank you, Lord. I just agree with but Milton's prayed, Lord, that your glory would be seen here. You would work through our time in your word together. Other things that I have not brought out that are truths of your scripture, may you just implant on our heart and guide each one of us to grow in you. Lord, whether we've heard this institution of the Lord's Supper before, we maybe think we're familiar with it, may you grab us, Lord, by the heart and see again its realization in you, Jesus. You are the culmination of this supper. You are the focus of this supper. And so, Lord, we lift you high. May you be the center of uh, who we worship. And we pray this in your name. Guide us, Lord, by your spirit. Amen. Well, it's fitting today that we celebrate uh, communion. You think of the object lessons of, of Scripture. Here is one of the main ones, a big one. It's really a gift of God, and we remember and we celebrate this supper together. It, it is a ceremony, right? As we talked about Obadiah and the dedication, it's a ceremony of sorts. And um, I came across an interesting quote this week from a guy that I'll probably reference more than once uh, named Alfred Edersheim. If you ever are interested in Jewish history, he's kind of a big guy, written a bunch of books on Jewish history himself, uh, Coming from that, believing in Messiah, though, for, so it's from that perspective. But he writes this. He says, Ceremonialism rapidly develops 
too often in proportion to the absence of spiritual life. I'm going to read that again. He says, Ceremonialism rapidly develops too often in proportion to the absence of spiritual life. I think what I came away with is we can come to this supper, and some churches do this weekly, some do it monthly. We do it every three months, although this is a little odd for us to do it on this particular time. And it can be kind of a a ceremonial type thing. And it can be just that if that's where our hearts are at. Or it can be something that really plays out our inward spiritual life that God is growing in us. And so we want to understand this gift of Christ. Look at His words here. Hopefully just get a, get a, even a clearer picture and an understanding of what we're celebrating together. Um, you know, sitting up here playing guitar this morning and thinking towards a sermon and working on it, um, I come with great thankfulness. Because what we're going to touch on, some of these things, they're, they're more difficult for me to pin down, especially on the order of the Passover. Some of you are maybe more schooled in that. Um, the covenant, understanding that whole framework and that whole idea. The thought occurred to me, it's okay. Jesus is more than you could ever describe. So I'm weak in order to describe what's going on. Just know he's more and more and more from this. So here we are. We're going to get into verse 22. We're here to look at their supper on this Thursday night, I believe. Jesus celebrating the Passover this night before he's nailed to the cross, shedding his blood. Here's verse 22. Again, as they were eating, I think that's important, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. There's an order, I believe, to this meal. And as best as I can understand Mark here, this phrase, as they were eating, helps us. It gives us a hint as to the location in the meal. Some will say this meal had four cups or four kind of, you think of four parts to the meal. Some maybe three. I'm going to go with the four cups uh, part um, in, in ways of how the meal was divided up. And I've got my four cups here to kind of help us keep this all straight. Okay. Cup number one. They probably didn't have styrofoam back then. I don't know what they had, but uh, it wasn't this. So This was really the cup, and I've labeled it the cup of thanksgiving. This really began the meal. Maybe like us that we would start, maybe we wouldn't raise our glasses at the beginning, but we would say a a thanksgiving for the meal, for what we're going to have. Again, divided in parts, but this first cup of thanksgiving, an initial cup. The head of the meal would offer uh, a prayer of thanksgiving uh, in two, two ways. One for the cup or the wine. Perhaps he said something like this. Blessed art thou, Jehovah our God, who has created the fruit of the vine. Kind of this blessing. As well as saying this, thanking God for this, the return of this feast day with all that it implies and for being preserved once more to witness it. Kind of like we're here again to celebrate. Thank you that you've provided this feast. Thank you that we're here again to celebrate. You know, and they look forward to celebrating this yearly So thank you for the celebration, that idea. Well, then there's a second cup of the meal, from what I understand. This is really a cup we'll call the cup of institution. I I I think of it as the cup of teaching. This is, there's a first cup, so there's kind of this prayer of thanksgiving. There is then after that cup, and that's where the second cup, it's not just boom, 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 but after that first cup, 
there's a washing of hands. And I think from my reading, this is where Jesus uh, washed the disciples' feet. There's a couple places in here, a couple times of washing the hands. Uh, but this one, washing the hands, probably where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And then surrounding the second cup <clears throat> is much like we do for how we celebrate communion. There's, there's an institution, there's a teaching of what this is about. There's a reminder of why uh, there's bitter herbs and why the bread and, and these sorts of things. And the kids around this second cup are to ask questions and say, right, as good kids do, why are we doing this? Why are we having this herb and this piece of bread? Why the lamb and why is it roasted? All these questions. And so the head of the house is to answer. The head of that meal is to answer and provide information to say, here's why we're doing this. I think that's helpful. We do the same thing, and that's kind of what we're doing here before we celebrate communion together. Why this meal? Why isn't it something different? It's to understand that. So surrounding this second cup, there's teaching just why we're doing this. And there is a reminder in it. There's a reminder. Remember, this was instituted. We read that long passage last week from uh, Exodus 12 on the on the, the first Passover, how the Israel had been slaves in Egypt. God was delivering them and bringing them out. And this Passover was part of that celebration, that remembrance of that event, the hardships of uh, Egypt and yet of deliverance. And so after the second cup is drank from, the meal really, I think, begins. There's another washing of hands and then eating the rest of the food. Really the meal, after the second cup, the meal is going on, and there's this food being partaken. So it's between this second and a third cup, which we'll explain in a little bit, that I think we have this first, verse 22, as they were eating, he took the bread, um, broke it, gave it all these uh, descriptions of this, and gave it to his disciples saying, take, this is my body. Question here. What had this bread, so he takes this bread, what did it originally mean to those at this Passover? It was certainly not. It was unleavened, right? It's not the fresh, out of Subway, fresh bread. This is unleavened. You can even buy, I think you can buy it in stores if you want to taste and get an idea. I think it's called matzah bread, right? You can find that. It's more like a cracker. Um, The matzah I've had is not really salted. Uh, and uh, so, anyway, like that. But it was the bread, what did it represent? Think of their Passover, going back to the original Passover. It was the bread of deliverance. It's when God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. Remember, there was not time for bread to rise. Bake it without the leaven. Just bake it and let's go. Or take it with you so it doesn't have to rise and go. It's kind of like travel bread for them. You can travel with it. It's bread of deliverance. It's a reminder they've been delivered. And so taking this bread is a reminder of deliverance. And us now with New Testament, we can look back on this and say, wow, think of Jesus breaking this bread saying, take, this is my body. I'm a deliverer. The true deliverer has come. The fulfillment of this meal, this meal from from Egypt, this Passover, this, this shadow, this type, this haziness that we talk about of the Old Testament is being fulfilled before you as I'm delivering you. So Jesus says, take, this is my body. Now, there is much debate in different denominations around what does that mean? What is, did, did Jesus actually give them a physical piece of his body? 
I'd say, no, he didn't. He was right there. He, he didn't take a chunk of a flesh and say, he said, here's the bread, here's this. It's, it's a strong metaphor, if you will. Uh, one dictionary place defines a metaphor as a figure of speech in which a term or phrase is applied to something to which it is not literally applicable in order to suggest a resemblance. It's like when we say, God is my rock. We understand God is not an actual rock, but we say he's, he's like that. And we understand this rock. And maybe if we think of God as a rock like a mountain, that he's immovable, he's unshakable, and I can hang on to him. And it's a, there's a metaphor use of that. And I think the same thing is going on with, with him and, and with the bread. Take, this is an even representative, symbol, I put in different words there of who I am, through what I'm actually going to do, through my body, to deliver. Now, we left off here, we had the first cup of Thanksgiving, the second cup of teaching, really, and the Passover meal goes into full swing. And as they were eating, Jesus breaks this bread. And then verse 23 and 24 bring us to this third cup. I'll read them here. He took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This third cup, then, is really, I believe it's Paul who uses the word a cup of blessing. It was the cup of blessing, kind of that blessing after the meal. It was almost a post-meal type of cup, uh, one place, what is it called? Grace after meat. It was grace after meat. So after you've had the roasted lamb, which sounds good. I think I've had lamb. I don't care for it. Maybe you do, but it sound, the roasted sounds good. But after this meal, there's this grace, this thankfulness after we've eaten with this third cup, this cup of, of blessing. Much like we would pray maybe at an end of a meal to thank God. Um, and I think this is the cup where Jesus says, this is the blood of the covenant. It's poured out for many. Jesus' words, though, I mean, this, these are not normally spoken at this meal. This is, this is the blood of my covenant. That was not typical uh, of this Passover meal. This is Jesus now. Jesus, we, I think we looked at last week, I don't know, the true Passover lamb, the Son of God. And he was drawing to a close here the first Passover, which was, again, as we mentioned, it was type and shadow. And now this is his Passover where a greater bread, a greater cup, a greater shedding of blood is going to take place the very next day for the ransom of many. We've already looked at Mark 10.45 in that. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Here's, again, we're seeing this blood of the covenant. Drink of this metaphorically, of of me, abide in me, uh, which is poured out for many. In Egypt, remember, the lamb's blood had covered that door. And that angel of death, because the blood was on the door, passed over that door because of the blood. And now Jesus is going to shed his own blood, his own atoning sacrifice of himself, for the sins of those he came to save, the many. And he refers to this as the uh, my blood of the covenant. 
I want to seek to understand this phrase, my blood of the covenant, a little bit more. So I want you to go to Hebrews 9.18. So head from Mark, uh, do right uh, to Hebrews. You find all the T's of Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus and Philemon, and you get to Hebrews and find chapter 9. We're going to look at 18 in just a little bit. On your way there, I want to just give a quick definition of covenant. Uh, We may not use that language. I may not use it as often as needed, I I believe. Here's how Earl Blackburn, here's how he defines this covenant, this idea of covenant. He says this, quote, A divine covenant denotes a solemn arrangement divinely imposed, which places binding obligations upon the parties of the covenant. It's a solemn arrangement divinely imposed. That means it's from divine. God imposes this arrangement. God initiates the covenant. Okay? But it's, there's binding obligations. I will be your God. You will be my people. That idea of covenant, this arrangement by God. And we see covenant throughout Scripture. And I'm not going in, in depth here, but uh, God makes a covenant with Adam as we looked at even in Sunday school this morning. He said, all the trees of the garden you may eat from, but one, right? Don't eat this one, for when you eat it, you will die. Here's the covenant. I've given you all this food. Don't eat this one. Obligation, this sort of thing, idea, this arrangement by God. Well, we know what happened from that. Adam and Eve did eat of that tree. They did fall into sin, affecting all the race from then on. And physical and spiritual death and spread, uh, sin spread to all mankind. But even in that, and as you've studied chapter 3 of Genesis, you've seen even in that chapter, God's grace is already at work. God is gracious. And He offers a covenant of grace then, even stemming from Genesis, from the very beginning. This, even Genesis, I believe it's verse 15, 3.15, where the, the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent. There's this hope in that promised seed raising up one day. Um, And so we see that even from there. Even God in His grace uh, covers Adam and Eve uh, with skins of animals because they were naked and ashamed. Grace is already at work right on the heels of the fall of man. And yet we see covenants throughout. There's various covenants come under God's grace. But in Hebrews, where I had... You go to verse 18. We're thinking of Moses and this, this, some call it the Mosaic Covenant or the covenant of the people of Israel here where God said, obey me alone. Don't serve any other God. Keep my covenant. You're going to be my treasured possession. Here's this arrangement. And so God gave the law uh, to Moses and the people of God. Might sound like a covenant back to works again here. Now you've got it works again. But I think it was a covenant of grace nonetheless. The law, what? What's gracious about the law? Well, one, it's good to follow. We, we honor God, but it exposes our sin, exposes who we are, and we say, oh, I see the law, and now I see I'm not holy. I'm not righteous before my God. It's, it's a graciousness. Uh, in that covenant with Moses, God would dwell with His people. Though they, and though they would sin against Him, He would be gracious. And He provided a means to atone for that sin, kind of in the shadows and types of animal sacrifice, this blood, this lifeblood poured out. 
So listen to how this covenant with Moses was inaugurated. We're now at Hebrews 9.18 where, where we came. I'm going to read through verse 22. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. You see the connection here? Blood of the covenant. There's Blood is part of the covenant. Verse 19. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. You get the picture, what the writer of Hebrews, it's all covered. There's blood covering everything. It, it's not clean. It's kinda, it looks to us messy, but it's covering. Um, verse 22, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So the law was given, and yet shed blood was there to purify those in this covenant. But again, this is only the, this is the shadow. For it's impossible, as Hebrews will tell us later on, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin and to cleanse, cleanse the conscience of one. The, the bull's not going to do it. And so look at uh, Hebrews then, look at verse 23, and I'll read to the end of this chapter. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And now we hear about the new covenant, the blood of Jesus. Listen, verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Here's the deliver, here's the bread, here's the cup that's being poured out, the sacrifice of Jesus to put away sin. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Christ's blood, His death, His sacrifice have ransomed sinners from their covenant violation of God's laws. Grace has interceded. Christ shed His own blood, purifying a people for Himself and by His own blood securing an eternal redemption. We're not bought just for a momentary couple years on on earth. We're bought at a great price of great suffering and eternal redemption. The blood that speaks for eternity And it's a new covenant where God, by His Holy Spirit, He puts His law on our minds. He writes them on our hearts where we can truly know the Lord. And the Bible says He remembers our sins no more. 
This cup, this third cup, the metaphor, it's a cup of blessing. And we too can have grace and thankfulness and say thank you, Lord, for what you've done, for how you've poured yourself out for sinners. Lastly, we come in Mark, if you turn back to Mark, to verse 25. Mark 14, 25, where a meal, really, I think, of foretold suffering. I mean, it can't, you know, at one time it's, wow, the disciples got to look at this and think, what? What blood poured out? This is not hopeful. And yet there's hope because, listen, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day. Church, there's a day coming when I was going to drink it new in the kingdom of God. So here, this Passover in the old way of the lamb, it's over. This is the last of it. There could be no other Passover lamb. The lamb, the lamb had come. It was over. And Jesus says it's being fulfilled. This Passover is being fulfilled here. And in Mark, in the book of Mark, we've seen the kingdom of God is at hand. And I think in Christ's death and resurrection, he reigns now. This kingdom is already, in a sense, here and not yet because we wait for that day when He will come again. But the kingdom is both present and we look forward to it coming, this kingdom of God. And we'll feast with the Lord. We'll be with Him forever. After this, it's nighttime, this last of the old Passover, this institution of a a better Passover, really what we're even celebrating today, this Lord's Supper. Perhaps they drank a fourth cup, a cup of praise and hallel, a cup of uh, praise from the Psalms, and that would be the last cup, cup at the end of the feast, and from there heading to Gethsemane. And this true Passover lamb was now headed out for sacrifice. So how do we apply this passage? How do we look at it in our lives? Well, I think according to Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11.26, he says, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That's what we're doing today. We're applying this message here in this meal together. This is not original with me, but comes from a book I was in this week, was not even looking for this in there, but I read this from David Noble, and he says this, uh, and I think it's fitting, and I think, um, I may have mentioned it before, but changes the way I think we look at taking this meal together. He says this uh, in his book, Understanding the Times, quote, At the end of all things, Christianity says, the serpent who said, take and eat in the garden will be defeated by the Savior who said, take and eat in the upper room. This is the glory of this new covenant. It's fulfillment. It's not in the working of man to secure his salvation. We're celebrating the finished work of Jesus Christ, the offering of his body, the pouring out of his blood for the forgiveness of sins. This meal celebrates that the curse and that taking and eating Satan does not have the last word. We're taking an eating, not of the physical uh, body and blood of Jesus, but we're remembering and we're enjoying 
presence of the Lord that says, I'm saved. It's His blood. It's His body given for sinners to save them. So we want to come with hearts of joy in this. In one sense today, we celebrate communion. It's a, it's a meal of both suffering. We see that. We think of Christ, as I said, giving up His body to be hung on a tree, this blood being poured out, His life poured out as an atoning sacrifice. But then there's joy of the fact that it's finished. It's not ongoing. The payment for our ransom, the cost to buy us out of slavery and bondage has been paid by Jesus Christ alone. And through faith alone, not the eating of bread, not the drinking of cup, we receive eternal life. So this meal, again, it's, it's a remembrance. And I believe it's a means of God's grace where to do it and be filled with His grace as we partake and remember and proclaim and say, Lord, You died. And though I have many sins against me, Father, I know that Your blood was poured out that I might be forgiven and cleansed and reconciled. It's a meal that proclaims what unites us as a church. It's why we come here and why we gather. It's Jesus. Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And then these last three words, until he comes. He's coming again. And we look forward to that day.